Thank you for joining us today on the Annex Podcast, hosted and presented by the Building Christian Fellowship. At the building, we build our faith, hope, and love in Jesus by having a real, relevant relationship with Him. And what better way for us to get closer to God than to learn more about Him through His Word? We pray you enjoy this message. God is good as an understatement. It's a, it's a severe understatement of who he is. But then again, our, our understanding of good is, is completely uh, uh, a skewed perspective. So um, those of you guys that don't know me or it seemed like you, I, I need to reintroduce myself because I ain't seen you in a while. I'm Pastor Donald. Um, welcome to the Building Christian Fellowship, man. It's good to be here in the building. It's good to be here in the building. Though we've worshiped over the past couple of months, uh, via satellite, whatever you want to, whatever you want to call it, <laughs> internet live stream, and those of you guys that are out there still on the live stream, thank you for joining us. Um, it's it's a it's, it's something about being in in the house of the Lord, something about being in the house of the Lord. So we're continuing on with our series of building hope, building hope. Those of you guys that know our spiel and, and, and our thing here at the Building Christian Fellowship, we're all about building faith, building hope, building love, and building real, relevant relationships with Jesus Christ, which also, in turn, causes us to build real, relevant relationships with one another. Amen? So we are focusing on building hope right now. Um, a lot of times, we spend a lot of time talking about faith and we talk about love, but hope kind of ends up getting neglected. Hope is kind of like the redhead step. It's the middle child. It's the middle child. And, and, and sometimes the middle child doesn't, doesn't get recognized. Speaking of which, hold on. Excuse me for one moment. Rayma, come here real quick, please. Come here, come here. Just come, just come here, baby. I have to do this right now because, Rayma, I apologize for how I spoke to you before service starts. Okay? Do you, will you forgive me? Thank you. I love you. Had to do that because I don't want her spirit to be closed to what the word of God is saying. This isn't dad up here talking right now. So I believe that I have a word from the Lord for, for, for us today, this morning. And it's imperative that all of us are open to receive what it is the Spirit of the Lord is saying to the church. Amen? I'm not going to lie to you guys. We have an impossible task in front of us. We have an impossible task in front of us. We are, we're coming out to this reopening. Uh, it's, it's, it's crazy. Things are a mess. Everything's out of place. And I want you guys to understand something, that in order for us to move forward in hope, I'm here to present to you guys seven foundational uh, truths and that, that you can build hope on, okay? We're going we're gonna to start with this. I'm, if you can put them up on the screen for me. First, I'm going to show you guys that it's important in order for you to move forward and hope that you recharge your batteries. Recharge your batteries. Ain't nothing worse than when you get the remote and you try to click and you... And the remote's not working because the batteries ain't charged, right? 
Same with us, believers. We can't move forward and do what it is that God has called us to be unless we make sure that our batteries are charged. So we have to be, the, the thing that's cool about it is that I'm saying recharge your batteries because it automatically gives the assumption that you as a believer know that you should be actively working. For the energy to be burned up, you, sh you should be actively working. That means you should be serving, you should be doing something in service to your Lord and King. You following? So we gotta recharge our batteries we have to raise our expectations. We need to raise our expectations. You know, we're often taught that you get what you deserve. No, that is not true. You get what you expect. You get what you expect. So it's important for us that we have high expectations. Why? Because God has high expectations of us. He didn't call us to low living. He didn't say that I came that you might live okay. He didn't say that I, that, that I came that you might live status quo. I came that you might have life and have it more abundantly. So we are to have high expectations. That's why he, he demands excellence. How excellent is your name? We wear his name, so we should be excellent. Are you guys following? So we have to raise our expectations. No more low living. Next, we have to refocus on the future. We can't move forward and hope. We can't even move forward if we're looking behind us. Paul said, forgetting the things that are behind but pressing on toward the mark of the high call. So we need to refocus on the future. Yes, we thank God and we, and we build monuments for what he's brought us through. That's the only time we turn back to look is to remember what he brought us through. Not to remember what we lost, not to remember what was left behind. Do you realize that God commanded his people that when they were out or they were working in their fields, that if they left anything behind or forgot something to leave it there? to take care of the foreigner that came, came along behind them. Crazy, isn't it? But we so busy thinking about what it is that we lost and we got to go back and get it. No, you have a God that has promised to supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory. That's why he, calls, he, he wants us to be generous. Come on. Refocus on the future. Next, you have to learn to play to your strengths. Play to your strengths. These are seven foundations. We haven't even begun to scratch the surface. I'm going to go deeper into it, but we have to learn to play to our strengths. What does that mean? That means you got talents, you have gifts, you have abilities. And life is too short for you to spend your life trying to be what, what you think other people's opinion of you is to be. God has uniquely designed you and he's created you. Pastor Ray Johnston says this. He says, be yourself. Everyone else is taken. So it's important that you play to your strengths. Hey, I rap, Zay raps, but we don't rap the same. But we both have something to contribute. You go to the store, what do they have? They have a bread aisle. Notice that it's not just one company that makes bread, but it's about 15 billion different companies that make bread, all kinds of bread. Just because you do something that might be similar to somebody else, that might not be for them. So you gotta play to your strengths. Some of y'all like eating rocks and gravel and seeds in your bread. I appreciate good old white rainbow bread, white wonder bread. I appreciate that because I don't want to be chewing on gravel and seeds and stuff when I'm eating my bread. You like a thousand grains? That's good. Good for you. Eat them thousand grains. Okay. But again, we need to play to our strengths, right? We all are uniquely designed. God said in his word that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. Amen. 
So next, we have to refuse to go it alone. We need one another. This is where the real relevant relationships come into play. I need to be held accountable for what it is that I'm doing for Christ. I need to be held accountable. We need extreme accountability. We need to be on each other's line about making sure that we are productive and being busy about the Father's work until the day that Jesus comes. Yes, yeah, it gets quiet when you talk about accountability. You can't go it alone. You can't go it alone. It says, woe to the one who is by himself and he falls because there's nobody there to help pick him up. I know if I fall, I need somebody to come help pick me up because I might just be so tired and I'm going to just go on and lay down and take me a nap. Come on. You got to make sure that you stay connected. Stay connected. So refuse to go it alone. The, other, the next step is to replace burnout with balance. What does that mean? It means you're doing too much. You're doing too much. You can't serve two masters. You can't burn both ends of the candlestick. You can, but that doesn't mean that you're bright. That doesn't mean that you're being more effective. It doesn't mean that you're being more productive. So understand that, that you're doing too much, you're, 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 you're filling up your schedule, and that's what a lot of our problem was before this whole thing started, this quarantine started. We were busy, 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 and then when it came time for everything to shut down, a lot of us were beside ourselves and didn't know what to do. And so that's, that's one of the blessings that's come out of this whole situation. However, now that, that things are starting to uh, get away from that and we're starting to slowly being able to, to go out and get active again, it's important that we realize what it is that God has accomplished in us in that time of stillness, in that time of being down. Because I know for me personally, I noticed that there were a lot of things that I thought were priorities prior to this whole slowing down situation, and they really weren't. And so it's important for us that we remember that as things open up and, and, and we start getting back to a normal schedule, that we realize that we keep the main thing the main thing and we don't just start filling up our calendars and our schedules with stuff again and then we find ourselves five steps backward. Amen? So it's important that we replace burnout with balance. That's why the Sabbath was created. So we've been talk we talked about that uh, in, in recent times about the Sabbath, the importance of the Sabbath, but that's not what today's message is about. And lastly... Um, we, we, we need to learn how to play great defense. And that's what I'm talking about as far as making sure that you don't fill up your cal calendar again with all this unnecessary stuff. Again, brothers and sisters, we have an impossible task in front of us. We have an impossible task in front of us. But understand this, you are in good company because when you look through the scriptures, all of the people of God have had impossible tasks in front of them. All of them. You look at Abraham. Abraham was beyond the age of, bearing, of, of having children. He and his wife were beyond the age of having children. Impossible task. You look at Joseph. It didn't look like Joseph was ever going to fulfill the dream that God had given him. Impossible task. We got Moses. Moses that, 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 that was a murderer, had ran off, and, and just, just an impossible situation. Couldn't even speak right. Because for those of you that, that rely on the Prince of Egypt for, for your, uh, your, your, Moses, your Moses education, what you don't realize is that Aaron was the one that was his mouthpiece. 
because Moses couldn't talk right. He was, he's, he was, he's probably, more than likely, it was funny because I was talking to kids the other day. I said, more than likely, Moses kind of probably sounded like Mike Tyson. His name was Moses. Moses, all right? So, um, it's important that you guys understand that you are in good company. If you have an impossible task in front of you, you are in good company. The people of God have always had impossible tasks in front of them. And when things are impossible, it means they're unbearable, usually out of control. But let me, let me read to you something that A.W. Tozer said. A.W. Tozer said, when it looks like things are out of control, behind the scenes, there is a God who hasn't surrendered his authority. So in order for us to understand that, that there's an impossible task in front of us, and that we are going to engage in this impossible task that's ahead of us, we have to change some things. We can't just go about it the same old, same old way. So in this, I need you guys to understand, for us to establish these seven foundational, uh, uh, these, these pillars of, of walking in hope, I need you guys to understand that we need to change the way that we think. We need to change the way that we think because when we change the way that we think, it changes the way that we believe. When we change the way that we believe, it changes our expectations. Remember, we have, to, we have to raise our expectations. When we change our expectations, we change our attitude. And our attitude directly changes our behavior. Which ultimately, when we change all of those areas, it changes our life completely. Amen? What I need you guys to do is to get passionate. I need you guys to get passionate about this. I know y'all been on a long vacay, a long hiatus, a long nap, whatever it is, but I need you to get passionate because now it's time to get active, right? Speaking of impossible tasks, I'm reminded, like, I feel like right now the church is in a Nehemiah stage right now. And if you know anything about Nehemiah, I'm not going to read the whole script, the, the whole chapter verbatim or the whole story, but Nehemiah was part of, he, he was a leader in the children of Israel who were under the, the, the rulership, they were enslaved by the Persians. King Artaxerxes, they were all, they were all, uh, uh, um, they had a lot of animosity against the people of God. And so King Artaxerxes, because Nehemiah was such a good servant, he had, he, he had, a, he had a, a servant's heart. Nehemiah had come to the revelation that the walls of Jerusalem are burned down. And they need to be rebuilt. They need to be rebuilt because Jerusalem should be a place of hope. A city of hope where the people of God dwell. And being the fact that the walls are there to protect the hope, they're burned down. And we can't worship and be the example and be the called and be the chosen like God has called us to be. And so what it says is that Nehemiah was so moved with passion that he, he first fasted and that he turned to God and repented for his sins, for his family's sins, and then for the sins of the nation. And once he did that, he heard from God and said, go to the king and let him know what it is that I placed in your heart to do. So he goes to King Artaxerxes and God gave him so much wisdom on how to go about doing it that King Artaxerxes said, okay, tell me how much time you need. And he tells him how much time he needs. And he says, all right, go here, here, and here, 
and get all of the get all of the materials that you need to go do what it is that I've called you to do or what God has put on your heart to do. And so what I'm saying to you is that it's important for us during this time that if you've been in secret and shut in during this time that we've been down and you've been seeking the Lord, that you don't forget to do so when we go back out into the world. Are you following? And there's a mess before us, an impossible task. There's walls that we need to build. Remember, we're a church not only in the city of for the city of Susun. We are a beacon of hope to those who are in darkness and despair. So therefore, we need to start building as the building. We need to be building the walls to restore and protect the hope for this community. We need to get passionate. Jesus was passionate about his mission. So it moves me to go deeper into moving forward in hope. The title of the message today is called Hope. So being the fact that we need passion, we need to understand what the problem is regarding our passion. There are five passion killers. Five passion killers. Number one, unhealthy people. Unhealthy people. I'm talking about the leeches. I'm talking about the people that be wasting your time. I'm talking about the people that take to-go plates. I'm not saying, no, look, look, don't get me wrong. I've taken to-go plates. I'm talking about people that take to-go plates but never bring anything to contribute to the table. Unhealthy people. There's a a term, a more more endearing term that I like to call those people. Those those, Those people that I like to call them, I call them ASK holes. They're ask holes. Because when they ask you something, they're not asking because they want information and to be corrected. They're asking because they already have their mind made up about going and doing something wrong and and they're not there to get instruction or wise counsel. Number two, unkind critics. People that always got something negative to say. The talk sick Avengers. People that are always talking sick, don't have, never have nothing good to say. Every time you say something good, they like, but yeah, but. And my, 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 my opinion is that if your statement starts with yeah, but, you're probably a hater. <laughs> Unkind critics. Number three, unbalanced schedule. Again, here we go. Preventing burnout. Our schedules have been unbalanced. Like, your schedule should not be so busy that spending time with God is an afterthought. That should be, it says, early will I seek thee. Meaning that you need to keep the main thing the main thing. When you wake up in the morning, the first thing that, that comes out of your mouth should be a praise. So we need to make sure that we we don't have an unbalanced schedule. We don't, we don't get coaxed into having an unbalanced schedule. We're not doing too much. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. That's one of the things that's been great about this time that we've established as a family. We're still working out all the kinks, but what we have, once we made our mind up to, to make a Sabbath day, we've been keeping it. So much so that even the kids remind me. And it's done, it's done something great in our family, in our relationship. 
as a family. Next, unnecessary guilt. Unnecessary guilt. First Peter chapter three, verses 15 through 16 says, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you. With meekness and fear, having a good conscience that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. Having a good conscience. There's, we underestimate the, 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 the benefit of having a clear conscience. Right? We, we underestimate having the benefit of having a clear conscience. Case in point, like if you're part of a, if you're part of a, a, a workout group and you know you've been eating right and you've been sticking to your diet and your plan, you don't have a problem showing your face at the gym at the next workout. Right? Case in point, when we're doing like we're supposed to do, when, we, when we've been, when we've been uh, staying, staying in the faith, we've been staying in fellowship, we've been staying connected, we ain't hiding from brother so-and-so and sister so-and-so when we see them. A clear conscience. So unnecessary guilt is a passion killer. Lastly, underestimating the impact of exposure. What does that mean? Fear is the dark room where negatives are developed. I know some of you young people in here don't understand about photography and film because you're from the digital age. But there once upon a time was an era where we actually took pictures on these things called cameras and that you would have to take the film and you would have to take it and place it inside of the camera and you'd have to crank and, and, and roll it so that way it would wind in there and then you snap photos and hopefully the lighting was right and hopefully, but, but you, you just kind of just YOLO and just take a picture and, and then once you got to the end of the roll, you would wind it up, then go to this place that does photo development and they would develop your photos in about two to three weeks. So depending upon what your budget looked like, you probably would get like your birthday, your birthday pictures around Christmas. So I, it just depends. I don't know. Whenever you went to go pick them up. But the film was developed into, there, there were negatives. And so what I'm saying to you is, is that fear, when we allow fear to take residence, the negativity because there's negativity all around us, even in good times. Even in times of rejoicing, there's negativity around us. But when we give in to fear, fear becomes the, 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 the venue or, the, or the, the, the place, the dark room in which the negative thoughts, the negative opinions, all of those things begin to develop and they be begin to materialize. And so what I'm saying to you is that just as the negative bears the image of what it was exposed to, you can't underestimate the power of exposure. What are you exposing yourself to? Because you, it's, it's imperative for you to protect the hope that you have. Amen? Listen, 
Let me, let me give you the definition of exposure. Exposure is a representation of a person or scene in the form of a print or transparent slide recorded by a camera on light-sensitive material. We are children of the light. And so it's important that we, are, we understand that we are light-sensitive material. So what we expose ourselves to is what we'll bear the image of. And if we are, uh, if we are uh, as believers, are children of the Father of light, then we need to be exposing ourselves to our Father. We need to live a life wide open to him, not closed in, in hiding ourselves. Amen? Check out these fear factors real quick. When you're in fear, this is how you know that, that you've, you've cultivated uh, uh, an environment of fear. With fear, these factors are that you're focused only on the problem. You expect or accept defeat. Your attitude is one of self-preservation. Meaning that means even if you're wrong, you're going to try and find somebody to blame. Rather than owning up. I mean, think about it. Go back to the garden. That's, that's where, that's the first, first, First time self-preservation was ever, was ever implemented. Well, it was the woman that you gave me. An attitude of self-protection and self-preservation. And then lastly, you're running from the problem. One of the things that, that I've, I've learned, and, and I don't know if any of you guys follow me on Facebook or on, or on YouTube or anything, I've been doing a, a series of nightly nuggets, and one of them that I came out with was called McDonald's Money. And what that is, is that as a kid, you know what I'm saying, kids love McDonald's, right? And so what ends up happening is you driving around and you pass them golden arches that's shining, shining through the window and the kids are like, hey, mom, dad, can, I, can we go to McDonald's? And the response that comes back is you got McDonald's money? And the thing is, is what God revealed something to me, like just in talking to my kids and, and, uh, just like our Sabbaths and, and hanging out together and building a relationship with them is that I carried that attitude over into other things and other things that they needed. And what the Lord showed me, he says, it is the father's pleasure when his children come to him and ask them, ask him for what they need. And so I was like, dang, God, why, why do you, okay. And so, but here's, the, but here's the thing. God knows that your children are going to come to you. It, it, it doesn't matter if I can fulfill the request. What matters is my attitude. What am I displaying to them as a father? Because as a father, the way that I relate to them is how they're going to relate to God, the father. I'm teaching them that. So if they come with a request, McDonald's, for instance, they come with the McDonald's, my, re my response of, do you have McDonald's money, is not so much about the request being absurd. It's more about the fact that I ain't got McDonald's money. It's about that I can't fulfill the request, so why are you going to ask me? Right? And a lot of us, we, we, we take that, we, we, we fall into that category of responding in that manner to our children and it teaches them 
that when I need something, I just need to figure it out on my own. When it is the Father's good pleasure. So here it is that um, I'm in the middle of this revelation and the Lord shows me, he says, no, this is what you do, son. When they come to you requesting something, when they come to you with a need and you can't meet that need, your job is not to respond out of flesh and frustration, McDonald's money, but to grab their hand and come to me. When, when it goes beyond your resources, you turn and bring them to the source. Look, dad can't take care of this right now, but you know what? Since this is something that we need, let's go to the father about it. Why? Because it produces hope in the future that when they need something, we went to God and he did it and he'll do it again. Moving on. Something that you guys got to understand, like, look, we, we, the things that we tend to call impossible are not really impossible. The things that we see are, as impossible are not really impossible. Let me, let me give you guys an illustration. In Mark chapter 2, starting with verse 1, we're going to read through this real quick. Try and cover this so we can get out of here. Mark chapter 2, starting with verse 1, it says, And again he entered Capernaum after some days, and it was heard that he was in the house. Immediately many gathered together so that there was no longer room to receive them, not even near the door, and he preached the word to them. Then they came to him bringing a paralytic who was carried by four men. And when they could not come near him because of the crowd, they uncovered the roof where he was. Where he was. So when they had broken through, they let down the bed on which the paralytic was lying. Verse 5, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven you. And some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, why does this man speak blasphemies like this? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they, they reasoned thus within themselves, he said to them, why do you reason about these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, arise, take up your bed and walk? But what you may know, or, but that you may know, that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, take up your bed, and go to your house. Immediately he arose, took up the bed, and went out in the presence of them all, so that all were amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. Follow, follow with me. You got Jesus. He shows up in town. I've said this before. Every, everywhere that Jesus went, that's where the party was. Everybody showed up. Every was there, everybody, their mom and their grandma was there. Everybody was there. House was packed. You said they heard, they heard that Jesus was in the house. It was packed. It was, it was going all the way outside, out in the streets. And here it is. You got these four guys that got a friend. And he's been paralyzed. And he's helpless. And they're like, man, Jesus is here. We know that we can, we, if we get you to Jesus, it's going to be all good. 
And so they get there and it's packed, it's crowded. They can't even press through to get to Jesus, to bring their friend to Jesus. And so they didn't just stop there and say, you know what, man, I guess it, I guess it ain't going to work. It's not going to happen. It's impossible, man. We're not going like, to be able to do this. No, what they did was they walked up. The way that the houses were designed back then, there's, there was like a stairway that went to the roof. And so they walked and took their friend up the stairs and went to the roof. And usually what would happen is they would have a door on, on the roof that, that, in, that goes into the ceiling that could go into the house because people could either go up top and just hang out and chill or whatever the case may be. But obviously, apparently, there wasn't room enough for them to fit this, this dude in his bed through the door. So what do they do? They rip the roof off while people are inside downstairs. I mean, like, can you imagine somebody busting through this roof right now to lower somebody down here onto this stage so they could get healed? A crazy scene, an impossible situation, but they were, they were desperate and they were convinced that if they brought him to Jesus, that he'd be healed. Here's what I want you to see. That's not so much what the miracle was. Again, a lot of times we think things are impossible and they're not. Or we call things impossible and they're not. To God, it's child's play. Jesus says to, to the scribes that were sitting there wrestling with what it was that he did in their hearts, by his spirit, he discerns it. They didn't even open their mouths and say it. They reasoned within themselves. And because Jesus could discern their hearts, he turns to them and says, which one is easier? To tell this man that his sins have been forgiven or to tell him to get up out of this bed and walk? Notice that when Jesus addressed the paralytic, he didn't address his condition physically. He addressed his condition spiritually. Why? Because what you need to understand, a lot of times we get twisted is we think that Jesus came to make bad people good. Jesus didn't come to make bad people good. He came to make dead men live. That's what's impossible, to make dead things live. And here it is, Jesus addresses his condition, seeing that he's a dead man, laying in a bed that can't move. And he speaks life into a situation and calls him to life by forgiving his sins. But he received the added blessing to show further to the non-believers that Jesus was who he said he was. And he had the power and the authority to do what, do what he did. What I need you to understand is that your financial situation is not impossible. Your unemployment is not impossible. Us as a church getting, getting a, a new facility and getting new, new uh, buildings and structures and all that stuff is not impossible. What's impossible is dead men being brought to life, which our job of bearing the proper image can only facilitate here in this community. If we fail to bear his image, we fail our mission. And God, is, God has commissioned us to partner with him in this impossible task of turning dead men 
into living creatures. The hope of the world is the local church. The hope of the world is the local church. Listen, we went through the five problems that we have that we're facing. Now let me give you the five supplies, the five supply lines that are going to help us accomplish this task. Follow me. Write these down. Number one, we got to unleash the Bible in our lives. It can't just be a book that we read. It can't just be like a dictionary when we want to just go and look something up. Right? We have to unleash the Bible in our lives on a daily basis. It says, give us this day our daily bread, not our birthday cake. Not our cheat meal. Give us our daily bread. So number one, unleash the Bible in your life. Unleash the Bible into your life. Why? Because God reveals himself to us that way. He reveals himself to us through his word. Number two, understand the power of worship. Why do we need to understand the power of worship? It's because when God reveals himself to us, that is the command that he has given us to respond to him. He reveals himself to us and we respond to him in worship. Understand the power of worship. That is the way that we learn to communicate with God. He teaches us, he gives us through his word, the protocol of how to praise and how to communicate and how to be in communion with him. He reveals himself to us and we respond in worship. Next, number three, build great relationships. The greater your relationship is with God, the greater your relationship will be with his people. What does he tell us? He commands us to love him with all our heart, all our soul, all our mind, all of our strength and love our neighbor as ourselves. When you love God right, you'll learn to love yourself right and you'll learn to love others right. Right? All right. So we're building great relationships, relevant, real relevant relationships. Number four, invest in your own growth. I hope you ain't waiting to come to church. I know as kids, me and my three sisters, we probably would have starved if we waited for our mom to get home from work to feed us. When you are desperately hungry, when you want to grow, when you need to eat, you gonna, I don't care how little you are, you're going to climb up on some counters and start digging through, rummaging through cupboards to find something to fix. So invest in your own growth. Word tells us Philippians chapter 2 to work out your own salvation. I can't work it out for you. Work out your own salvation because it's God in you, working in you to do his good will and his pleasure. Amen? Invest in your own growth. Lastly, pay attention to whose voice you are listening to. I know some of y'all out there are meme mongers. Meme mongers. You dang near live your life on a meme. I'm just saying. Come on, it's, 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 it's like, I, I, it's crazy, man. So much, so much fake news and false stuff that's circulating around. It is important that you pay attention to whose voice you are listening to. John chapter 10 talks about how Jesus is the good shepherd and that his sheep know his voice. And the voice of a stranger, they will not follow. It holds true in real life. 
The reason why he used that illustration is because it's a real thing. I saw uh, an experiment one time of these two shepherds that kept their flocks in the same like little corral thing. And when the shepherd came, all the sheep were bunched up together. One of the shepherds came and he made his call. And you notice like only some of the sheep moved. The rest stayed there. The rest stayed in place. Reason being, because they weren't his sheep. So they didn't move. His sheep know his voice, and the voice of a stranger they will not follow. As I come to a close, if I could get the awesome TBCF dynamic worship team to come forth. Forth. Listen, I need you guys to get this. Why is it important for us to have hope? It's because where there is no faith in the future, there is no power in the present. Where there is no faith in the future, there's no power in the present. When we don't have hope, understand this. Building up faith, building up hope, building up love. Faith has a direct correlation. It's, 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 it's opposite is not fear. Faith's opposite is unbelief. Love's opposite is not hate. Love's opposite is fear. That's why it says, perfect love casts out all fear. Hope's hope has an opposite, and its opposite is not poor circumstances. It's discouragement. And when we're discouraged, we're of no good or no use to anybody. Something I need you guys to understand is that that we have to raise our expectations because if we don't raise our expectations, like I, I don't believe anybody in here was brought out of darkness into light, brought from death to life, just to live a mediocre lifestyle. I don't think any of us had that plan. I know definitely that your Lord and Savior did not have that plan for you. He has, he has great plans, great expectation for you. I need you guys to follow this. Listen. Thomas J. Watson, he was the chairman of IBM in 1943. We're talking about raised expectations. Thomas J. Watson of IBM said in 1943 that, yeah, I think there's a world market for about five computers. As I stand here reading from a portable computer on this stage, Low expectations. Low expectation. And this is IBM. This was the guy that was running IBM. And those of you that know IBM, IBM was like a, a, a crazy com- computer mobile. Listen, Business Week in 1958 said, with over 50 cars on sale here, the Japanese auto industry isn't likely to carve out a big slice of the U.S. market. As I Kermit the Frog sipped my tea as I drove here in my Nissan Altima. 
and my wife drove up in a Honda Odyssey. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm an, I'm, I personally am an American Muscle fan. I like American Muscle, but it's not feasible right now for me. I ain't got American Muscle money right now, right? I'm gonna take it. I'm, yeah, I'm gonna take it to the Father. Hallelujah. But what it boils down to, what our hope boils down to, is this: we have to ask this question. Is there anything too hard for God? Let me circle back to Nehemiah building this wall and where I believe we are as a body of believers are at in the same place as Nehemiah where we have to start rebuilding some things in order to restore hope to the people that we ourselves need to make sure that we're operating and functioning at an acceptable, exceeding level of hope. Something that I need you to understand is that when Nehemiah got this revelation and he wanted to move forward in power, it had been 92 years since Jerusalem had had a wall. 92 years of hopelessness, 92 years of frustration, failure, fear, and fatigue that the people of God has suffered from because their walls had been burnt down. 92 years. Do you understand all of the things that transpired within a span of 92 years? Give you guys an example. Within the last 92 years, we saw the Great Depression. Within the last 92 years, we saw World War II. Within the last 92 years, we saw the civil rights movement. We've, 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 we've experienced uh, mass incarceration. We've experienced the war on drugs. We've experienced the Gulf War. We've, we've experienced all these things within 92 years. All of those things transpired. It's a long time to be without hope. For 92 years, the city of Jerusalem had no walls. After Nehemiah started the project that God had put in his heart, because he was passionate about it. Do you know how long it took him to, to, to fulfill what was in his heart? 52 days. 52 days. Hope was restored within 52 days after 92 years of hopelessness. G.K. Chesterton says it like this. He says, hope is the power of being cheerful in circumstances that we know to be desperate. Jeremiah 32, 27 says this. God spoke to his prophet Jeremiah saying, Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? And I believe that's what God is asking his church right now. Is there anything too hard for me? Again, we have impossible hope. We have impossible tasks ahead of us. That's all the time we have for this episode of the Annex Podcast. But we encourage you to get connected with us by downloading and using our TBCF app today. Or you can visit our website at tbcf.life. That's tbcf.life. Until next time, thanks for stopping by to the Annex Podcast.